If you're only thinking about a lifestyle, then all you're thinking about is pay. If all you're thinking about is payment, then all you're thinking about is money. And if all you're thinking about is money, well, you do some interesting things when money's on the line. What is up, everyone? I'm Kyle. And I'm Isaac, and we are the hosts and founders of the Freedom to Fill podcast and Fill Nation, a community where failing while pursuing our dreams is a positive and taking uncertain chances is celebrated. This podcast is for those who have a dream of starting a business or doing something they've always dreamed of, but have been held back by their fears. Our purpose is to share the unsuccessful stories of successful people so that you can learn how to take the first steps towards achieving your dreams. You deserve to live a life full of freedom and free of fear. Let's do this. All right, Freedom to Fail Nation. Today, we are lucky to be here with Scott Schwab. Scott is actually one of the co-founders of Bottega. We're going to talk a little bit about that here in the next few minutes, hear from him. But I actually have the honor of knowing Scott for the past couple of years. I actually got to know him through Majestic, through my own company. He became one of my customers and got to know him really well, found a mutual love of entrepreneurship and business. And we've been able to really get to know each other and talk business sometimes. He's been there to help me out with business struggles that I've gone through, ideas for technology, ways that I can improve my business and system. So I'm just really excited to be here alongside with Isaac as well with Scott. So Scott, tell us a little bit about what Bottega is. Yeah, great. Thank you so much, Isaac. Thank you, Kyle. Appreciate being on the uh, podcast. Bottega is a computer science school and oftentimes people are aware of intensive boot camp models. And really, that's where Bottega competes. And what makes Bottega different is that we have accreditation. Now, the reason that accreditation is important is it's third-party validation. So it's not just us saying, hey, we're the best. It's a third-party partner or a third-party accrediting body that comes in and says, well, you need to work on this and you need to work on that. And if you truly want this accreditation, you have to do X, Y, Z. That's really what we're involved in and why we're so passionate is there needs to be more people in industry who are critical thinkers. And we all know the deficiencies of software developers throughout the nation and throughout the world. And that's the problem that we fix. So on our business model, we really focus on a heavy B2C interaction with our consumers. And we have an online portal as well as an in-person classroom. And so students get to take our class from everywhere all over the world. And currently, we have students in Moldova, Mexico, Spain. We have a worldwide audience that we're able to tap into. And that's really what has made Bottega the special school that it is. Wow, that is awesome. I think what you're doing is incredible. And there's definitely a need for that right now in the world. I just know of so many places where... They say, hey, go through our course and we'll give you a certificate saying that you are certified and you're valid. But in reality, that's just coming right from the people who are giving the course. So nobody really does that. So I think that's really cool how you go about getting that accreditation from a third party so that everyone out there can really see how valid that is. Correct. For us, it means a lot to be able to provide that value to the student. So Accreditation means one thing as an institution, but it also means something to the student. And as they're going out and interviewing with employers, employers oftentimes ask the typical questions like, do you have a degree? Do you have college credits? 
again, because of the accreditation, we have obtained college credit recommendation from the American Council on Education. So having both, like you said, the certification of competency, but then having the complementary college credit really means a big thing for students. So thanks for letting me uh, include that. Yeah, for sure. Like Kyle said, it's really awesome what you're doing. And we're going to have more information about you and your company in the show notes, as well as we'll leave our listeners with some places they can find you towards the end of the show. But as you know, on this show, we don't really care what you've done or you know what successes you've had, even though you are very successful and have a great company. We are here to learn more about your failures. And we want to hear about some of the projects you worked on before starting Bodega. During a little bit of research about you, we've seen that you started other projects and other companies. And we want to hear about some of those. And, and maybe you could share with us if some of those failed or any of the failures you had along the way. Yeah, you bet. Thank you. And again, I love the premise here of being able to talk about failures because on social media, everybody looks at all the successes, all the fun, and, <laughs> and they never see like what it is that you actually go through. So yeah, I think failure really has been my biggest teacher. And starting back to an earlier time when I was 21, I started a business where what we did was we went and we were building log cabins or stacking the log cabins because they really are built into kits. Like Lincoln Logs. Yeah, exactly. You ship everything out to a location and then you stack those logs. You need to make sure that they're plumb and that they're level. But one of the things that we did is there's a, an adhesive called caulk that you put in between the logs. And I started a little side business where I could start putting caulk on these cabins for some of the owners that were contracting us to stack the logs. And my first failure was going out and hiring all of my buddies and having them come and help me put together this business. There was no structure. There was no leadership. It was just a bunch of guys going out to make some money. And of course, you have problems on the one side, which is your labor force saying, well, I worked for this long, I should be getting this much money. Without structure, you have that miscommunication and constant, well, I should be getting this because it wasn't detailed out in the beginning, right? And then on the other side of the failure, because we would acquire a large amount of hours to give to the homeowner, when they would receive those hours, they'd say, well, what am I paying for? Yeah, sure. I saw the caulk and I know that the job is done. But in many ways, I don't see the value. And that goes to a part of just communication, having clearly uh, defined documents, having all of these things where homeowners are now seeing, okay, I know where this value is coming from. So that was my very first failure <laughs> in starting my own first little business. And from there, they just continued. So, <laughs> Well, that's awesome. So could you kind of take us back to that little business you're running? I mean, at what point were you like, man, I just have no idea what I'm doing. I to I've totally messed this one up. Um, about the first time that we went to go and get paid for a large job, we had been up in Island Park and we had done this entire cabin. And we sent our hours to the homeowner and he's like, I'm not paying you that. He's like, I'm paying you for half of that. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? These hours are all legitimate. We were there. We finished the job. And he said, well, truthfully, we don't even have a contract. And I said, ah, man, <laughs> that's true. It was just based on him asking us to come up and do that piece for him. So he didn't have to do it himself. And unfortunately, that's kind of some of the uh, scar tissue that you get along the way. 
but that was when I was like, you know what, if and when I do this again, I need to have clear contracts in place, engagements so that homeowners or whomever I'm working with knows what their expectation is and that we can clearly define our expectations so that there's a successful venture or successful partnership. That's crazy. I didn't realize that you did that up in Island Park. My grandpa actually was one of the original developers of all of Island Park up there. So no way. My family goes there. Yeah, quite often there. We know a lot of the stuff that's up there. We do a bunch of family reunions up there a lot as well. Beautiful. It's a beautiful place. Definitely. So after that, walk us through how long did you do that? What did you do after that? Yeah. So that was a side hustle for me, right? I was doing that through the summers and then I was doing that into my schooling. I was attending a school up in Little Rexburg, Idaho called Brigham Young University, Idaho. And I was pursuing my business degree. So work at that point was more of a side hustle than it was like, hey, this is my real day to day. I honestly, I bounced around into different things. Construction was the thing that I kind of covered around just because I could make the most money as well as I could use my hands, be outside and do some of the things that I really enjoyed doing. And it allowed me to pick up skills to be able to start little side hustles. So I would go and I'd work for a contractor who was building the log cabin, but then I would pick up work in the caulking. I would pick up work in the roofing. I would pick up different sides of the project where I essentially became a subcontract. And really, it wasn't my passion as far as what I wanted to do the rest of my life, but it was everything that I needed to teach me to be the business owner that I am today. Because again, I had employee failures. I had contract failures. I had even incorporation failures because when I started, I actually didn't incorporate. I just started to work and started to do, you know, the gentleman's handshake and some of those types of things. They're early mistakes that I think a lot of people make, but that's one of the things that really I recommend heavily to any entrepreneur I'm talking to today is get things in writing, create a contract, pay the money for a lawyer because it always bites you in the end. No, it's totally worth it. And, you know, I've had some similar experiences with, you know, the side hustles I've started in not incorporating correctly. I actually just recently had a big issue with product that I sourced from China and the issue was with FDA. I didn't have an FDA approval on some stuff. So, you know, obviously there's a lot of things that sometimes we don't know when we go into business. But what I kind of want to share with our listeners right now is from your story and from other stories we've had and we're going to have, you don't have to know everything or have everything perfect to get started. And I think that maybe this is the case for you as it was for me. But I think that, you know, if you know all the barriers to entry, the legal documents and all these regulations and stuff, sometimes it's scary to even start. And so from listening to your story, you know, it sounds like you just jumped right in the door. You just went for it and you were willing to fail, which you said was your biggest teacher. Could you tell us maybe a little bit about how you see failure as a teacher? Yeah, I'll even go back a little bit. When I was 15 years old, I was paralyzed. And that one lesson taught me so many different things because number one, I was really into athletics. Number two, I was really into girls. And so the combination of those two things and being in a wheelchair really didn't compliment either one of them, right? And so as I was seeing that failure, because I looked at it as a failure, It was a disease that I had, and ultimately, something that was reversible, 
but I wasn't able to go out and play sports like I imagined or like I had expected myself to. I wasn't able to get my game on with the ladies and be able to do that like I expected to. And so that one failure both helped me to mature and also allowed me to know that, hey, failure is a part of life and it's not going to go the way you think it is. But I think my definition of failure is quitting and stopping what you're doing to try and stop the pain or stop the discomfort, right? When discomfort and pain are the biggest innovators. So I would tell people, just keep going because when you quit, that's when you say, okay, I failed. In reality, growth comes from pain and comes from discomfort. You look at someone who goes to the gym religiously. They don't go to the gym because it feels good to go through that much pain. They go through the gym because they know on the other side of the pain is the results. That's when you get your six-pack or eight-pack abs in your case, Scott. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Thanks. In all of those results that you really want, you have to go through the pain first. And I think a lot of people, us included, have had times where we see the pain and we're like, okay, well, is there any way to go around it? And we try and find another way around it when in reality, we just need to go through it. And that's one thing that is really hard because nobody wants to be in pain. Nobody wants that discomfort in life. We all want to stay within our comfort zone, but none of our growth comes in our comfort zone. It only ever comes when we are uncomfortable and we put ourselves out there and willing to do something new because otherwise we stay the exact same. And in my opinion, You can only grow or you can only regress. There's no staying the exact same. And if you're not learning and growing forward, you're actually falling behind everyone else because everyone else around you is getting better. And if you don't do anything to go through that pain, you're only going to do yourself a disservice in the long run. I want to go back now with Bottega and stuff. That's what you're doing right now. What has been some of the biggest challenges or failures that you have experienced in your process of from when you started it to getting it to where it is now? Great question. So uh, a lot of people don't know that part of why Bottega has been able to scale and grow as quickly as it has is because of the accreditation. The accreditation can be dated back to 2010. My first company that I started in the ed tech world was called Business Format Incorporated. It doesn't exist anymore. And the reason it doesn't exist is because it didn't have a product market fit. We went into the ed tech world thinking, okay, we can solve all these problems. And I architected a a program called Business Plan University. See, the initial pain that I had thought, and again, this goes back to my early days of failing as an entrepreneur, was people just don't have a workbook that they can turn to and see all of the different aspects of how to set up a business. Why do we structure it this way? Who our competition is? How to pitch yourself? And so that was the problem or the pain that I was trying to resolve myself and ultimately put it into a workbook. And then I built it into a learning management system. And then we took and we got that accredited. And so what we benefit from today is something that we started clear back in 2008 and really just built over the years because accreditation is a three to five year process. And even within that process, we failed many times. I mean, your review comes back and it's not as strong as you want it to be. You get uncomfortable feedback from the reviewers because you're not doing enough or there's not enough accountability for the students. All of those things, they existed. And those are the things that have made us better today 
because the three earlier organizations that I started to get us to the point that we're at today, they no longer exist because they didn't have a product market fit. What you said there is just super important for for everyone to listen to and understand. Most of the time, our failures are actually going to be the building blocks for the future. Even if they don't exist anymore, that's where you're going to learn the lessons and gain the skills necessary to find the success in the future there. Like you said, that doesn't even exist anymore. But if you hadn't gone through that, you wouldn't be able to apply that right now to be able to get Bottega to grow and really move forward as well. That's true. Scott, was there ever a moment when you were building Bottega where, you know, you thought, you know, this might fail as well? And did you ever feel like giving up by chance? Yeah, I mean, I've encountered that feeling. And I think any entrepreneur will many, many times. I can remember back to a time when we were trying to pay payroll. And I had to go home and tell my wife that we weren't getting paid because we paid our employees first. And that's hard. It's a hard conversation. And ultimately, it is a sign of failure because we failed to have the amount of income and the revenue that we needed to be able to just grow it like a typical business will where you pay people off of the income that you receive. So again, we've had that multiple times with Bottega. I mean, that's part of the challenge of growing a business so quickly is you start to outpace your income very quickly. Mm, yeah. What is the thing that helps you most overcome those instances when you only have enough money to pay your employees and you can't pay yourself or you're at the brink of possibly closing your doors or whatever it is? What gets you over that point and to keep pushing forward? Yeah, great question. And I think that that's changed over time, right? When I was an sure. entrepreneur initially, it was, I have got to figure out a way to feed my family. Over time, it's I've got to take care of the people who trusted in me. Mm. And even more than that, it comes down to what is the legacy that I'm leaving behind? Failures in business are going to happen. And sometimes closing the door is a part of that failure. But the challenge with the failures is if we don't learn from them, and we'll continue to repeat them. I really like Simon Sinek, start with why put everything back to a why. For me, my why is my family. It's the legacy that we're going to leave. And it's the people who have put trust in me. And it's the pressure that I have to provide for my family. All of those encompass my why, which ultimately is just a legacy. I love that book so much, Start With Why. It's one of my favorite ones that I've ever read. It just really helped me get down to the nitty gritty and know why I need to do the things. And for me, what I've noticed in my life is I am way more successful when my why faces outward, when it's not based on myself. Originally, because I started in the door-to-door industry selling pest control, and I did that the first year and I went out and my whole goal was, oh, I want to buy this nice car. I want to do all this stuff. And that's not a strong enough reason to go through something as hard as door-to-door. I didn't have a really good reason why. And I like the way you said a legacy And in reality, with my business, everything that I've done, all of the successes that I've had in business come when I focus on other people or on improving the quality of life in one way or another of those around me. I've always found more success by focusing on that than by focusing on, oh, I need to make this amount of money for my mortgage payment or this amount of money for my car payment or 
all those kinds of things. So like what you said, everyone is going to have a legacy. It's up to us to decide if it's a legacy of selfishness or if it's a legacy of us trying to really take advantage and provide quality to those around us that is going to last for generations to come as well in the future. There's a question we ask all of our guests. And you know, you can take this as you will, either entrepreneurial or just in life in general. And the question is, what do you consider to be your biggest mistake or failure? My biggest mistake is... And let me preface this because I believe that mistakes are actually hidden gems. I don't think that any mistake is going to define a person. And I also don't believe that mistake is final, right? But my biggest mistake that I've made over and over again is just trusting a person at their word. Being able to have negotiations that don't get on a piece of paper, that don't get on a contract, that don't get into an agreement. Just because it's like, I really like this person. Why wouldn't they do what they say they're going to do? Or I really love this opportunity. Yeah, let's move forward with it. But in that, the mistakes start to mount when money is paid out to deliver on that or to make something happen that's been agreed to, but ultimately either never was intended to follow through or somewhere along the way there was challenges. So my biggest mistake is the fact that I jump in head over heels, I'm into something, and all of a sudden I start seeing, oh, I should have documented that, and oh, there should be an agreement in place. Mm, And so moving forward now, I won't do it. I won't get into an opportunity or I won't get into any type of a deal unless there is a structure first. I've had too many failures where I just trust somebody and it doesn't happen the way that I think. And maybe that's the biggest thing that I've learned as well from my failure. But my biggest mistake is just trusting too much. Now, let me put a caveat in there. Trusting people is not a bad thing and I will never stop trusting. But you've got to trust with verification. Yeah. Ronald Reagan. There you go. So Scott, why do you feel like you've made that mistake multiple times? What did it take for you to learn from that and to make sure you didn't do that again? Losing hundreds of thousands of dollars. (laughs) That would do it. That's the pain that ultimately makes you think twice when you're about to either write a check or you're about to jump into an agreement or enter a business. Because ultimately, our goal in creating a business is for flow of transactions. It's either to bring money, to pay out money, to have a good or a service to transact. And if in the event that you're just putting out money for something that ultimately is not ready, then you're going to spend a lot of money or waste a lot of money in a cause that's never meant to happen. If it's meant to happen, then you can take the time and set it up appropriately so that everybody wins. One thing that entrepreneurs nowadays, well, I guess entrepreneurs in general, when they start out, a lot of times they're really nervous about pushing too far, going too hard. They don't want to be an annoyance. And so they get that verbal deal like you're talking about, but they don't close the deal. They don't get it on paper. They don't get it in writing because they're like, well, I know them. I can do business with them just fine. But in reality, that's going to come back and bite them in the butt all the time, like what you said. Like on Shark Tank, how many times do they come in companies with giant valuations and the sharks just eat them alive and say, why do you value it this much? And they say, well, we have a verbal agreement with so-and-so to do like 100,000 in purchase orders. And the sharks are always like, well, 
so what? That doesn't mean anything. There's literally nothing there. Yeah. And it just comes back and screws them over in the end because they didn't take the time to protect themselves. They were too worried about not offending that other person. Speaking from my own experience, like in this situation, I was always too worried about pushing too hard and losing the deal. When in reality, I lost more deals than I would have before because I didn't get paid or because I would show up and they wouldn't be there or anything. They don't take it as serious unless you take it serious too. Yeah, good point. So we're going to move on a little bit to our lightning round and we're just going to ask you some quick questions here and just hear what you have to say. Number one, what would you say is your biggest fear? Uh, Biggest fear is not to have my family around me long term. And I'll back that up with a book that I read. It's called How Will You Measure Your Life by Clayton Christensen. And uh, when I started to really look at what that book represents, it's great. You're a success. Great. You've made money. Great. You're in a company. But is that worth sacrificing everything else? And for me, it's not. And so my biggest fear is to push so hard on my business life that I lose the sense of identity of who I am and who ultimately I need to be for my family. Mm, I love that. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to get lost in trying to find success and not really ever accomplishing anything we truly want. And you know, for you, it's your family. So the next question, you actually already answered a bit before, and it is, what's your definition of failure? And you told us a little bit about that. So I actually want to flip that question and say, what is your definition of success? It's a long-term connections that are meaningful. And at a moment's notice, I can call someone to help me with something. Mm. And so generational communication, I would probably say, if I was to put it into a word, because I want to have friends. And it's no fun to have money and not be able to share it with somebody. It's not fun to be able to have money and be alone. And so in my mind, there's got to be that harmony of, okay, I understand what I'm supposed to do day to day to provide for my family. One of my early mentors said, are you building a generational business or are you building a lifestyle business? And at the time, I really wanted a lifestyle, right? That's what I was searching for. But I understand now that generationally is what I want to both influence my children to think like. So they're not taking the short-term wins and miss out on the long-term journey or the long-term victories. Because we all pick up wins here and there. But if you're only thinking about a lifestyle, then all you're thinking about is payment. If all you're thinking about is payment, then all you're thinking about is money. And if all you're thinking about is money, well, you do some interesting things when money's on the line. And so for me, it's more of a generational approach of how will my family be impacted by this? How will society be impacted by this? How will the community, how will the world? And that's really where I try to put my mindset now is to build businesses that are generational. It all comes down to leaving a legacy. The people that start a company just to cash out really quick, they don't care about the legacy. And if they don't care about their legacy, that means the company is usually not going to be of good quality. It's not going to be of substance because if someone starts a business with the exit strategy in mind, it's never going to work. And I see that so often nowadays. I've been able to meet a lot of entrepreneurs and other people my age who start their own business and all of them start and they have an idea of, okay, and in three years, I'm going to sell this business for this amount of money and I'm going to do all this stuff. And if that's the reason you're starting your business, 
you're doing it for the wrong reasons and it's never going to be successful because if you're really doing it that way, it means you're not passionate about that business. If you're passionate about it, why would you put a deadline on when you're going to stop being passionate? It just doesn't make any sense to me. So I really like your viewpoint. I've loved listening to you and hear about your focus on building a legacy and something that can last and be more valuable than just in your lifetime. Going along with that, what are some of the things that you do in your life? What are some habits that you have that contribute to you building your legacy, to you finding success in your business and in your personal life? Great question. And I thought about this in a couple of different ways. And one thing that I'd probably want to be able to share with listeners is you're going to have many roles in your life. I have a role as a father, I have a role as a husband, I have a role as an owner in our business. But at the end of the day, you're still an individual. And if the individual is weak, then every one of those other responsibilities will be impacted negatively. So for me, it's waking up early so that I have my me time. So I get out of bed, I go downstairs, and I read by myself. And that's just to get my brain going and my thoughts flowing for the day. And I personally, if I could tell people one thing that is the biggest indicator of clearly thinking through the day, it's to not start with your phone. It's to actually start with a book, start with reading something. There's something that emotionally connects us to reading as opposed to just listening or as opposed to just scrolling. And so I've really tried to not have my phone be the first thing that I look to because then we're in a reactive mindset the entire day, like, oh, what emails came in from the night or what texts came in? So getting up early, reading. And then the third thing that I would say that I do that's a large indicator of the success and you know also failures that I've had is being in the gym. Because for me, getting that physical activity going, my blood flowing, it helps me to understand that I can do more than I think that I can do. Because when you're at the gym, you're like, oh, you know what, maybe I can push it one more push up, or maybe I can do one more pull up. And it's a mindset. For me, it's my therapy. And that's where I start to really start pushing myself in ways that, okay, the rest of the day is going to be a good day. The other thing that I would say, we've heard in business that so much business happens on the golf course. Yeah. For me, it's the gym. And I have had more opportunities, more relationships, more networking that has come through attending the gym than any other place in, in public. That's awesome. Are you just like, you know, you just at the gym, you see a guy bench press and you're like, yo, hey, you want to talk about business? How does that go down? <laughs> What's going on there? How do you make friends with the gym? I'm pretty awkward with the gym, so I don't know how to do it. You got to teach us. Yeah. So ultimately, it's just depending upon the reasons that you're there, right? Because sometimes I'll go in there and I'm just a chatty Cathy. <laughs> I don't get anything done. But at the same time, you start to see and familiarize yourself with people that when you see them in public, you're like, oh man, I see you at the gym. What do you do? And it starts into a conversation. Uh, yeah. So it's not always in the gym, although that has happened multiple times where somebody will come up and just be like, hey, what are you doing? Or why are you doing that? What muscle groups are you working? Or I'll go up and be like, man, you are working so hard. And it's admirable for me that somebody would push themselves that hard 
and not knowing what the rest of their day looks like. And to me, it's like, it's a signal that they know and have control of their own body and mind so that they're able to push themselves that hard and then still have a great day. Hey, that's awesome. Yeah. So for anyone listening, you've heard it here from Scott first. If you want to meet successful people, connect with, you know, a larger network, go to the gym, man, and ask them how they're doing it. (laughs) If they're shredded and they're working out hard, you know, they have a pretty good life outside of the gym too, right? Uh, I love that. And I also love your advice about not picking up your phone. I mean, how many of us actually put our phone in like another room or keep it somewhere else in the house so we don't just pick it up in the morning. I know that up until the last few months, I've picked up my phone, you know, from my bed the first thing in the morning and it ruins the rest of my morning because then I, I miss out on my morning routine. So really appreciate that piece of advice, guys. Anyone listening, go put your phone somewhere else. Wake up and read a book instead. I love that, Scott. The next question we have for you, this could be a difficult question, but what is the best piece of advice you have ever received? It was actually when I was in college and I had a professor. He had done some pretty impressive things. He was my favorite professor in business. And he was the one who was behind a lot of the Heinz ketchup. And what he said is he said, always treat people with dignity and respect. And that can be applied into every single area of your life, whether you're on the road and somebody cuts you off whether you're in a business meeting and somebody chiggers you, whatever it might be, always treat people with dignity and respect. And not because they deserve it, but because you deserve happiness. And you just sinking yourself into negativity and into anxiety, into frustration and anger, that plays a role in both your happiness and your well-being. And so it's something that I have to constantly work at. I'm not some Zen where I've got all these things figured out. But I will tell you, the less things that I give attention to that are negative, the better. And so I just try to have as many things just roll off my shoulders like, you know what? They didn't mean it harmfully. They weren't being malicious. It just happened. I think that's a really good point because a lot of times the way that we treat other people is reactive. For a lot of people, it's based on what that person did to us in the past or what they said to us. But in reality, if we want to be in control of our lives, we have to treat them proactively. So like what you said, they may not deserve it, but we are doing that because we're in control of our lives. We respect other people and we do that because we know the value that happiness and peace provides in our lives. And we can't get that if we're mad at other people. We can't get that if we allow those angry feelings or sentiments to really fester in our mind. It just takes up all of our mind power And we can't focus on the things we actually need to get done. And we know that when we're not productive, we aren't going to be happy because we know we're not living up to our potential. So I really like that viewpoint and that attitude of it. Treat people nice because in reality, that means you're treating yourself nice. Take care of yourself first. And that comes a lot with how we treat other people. Even giving service, it may not be because they deserve it, but we all know scientifically it's proven that when we do something nice for someone else, it helps us feel better too. I think the biggest takeaway that I've gotten from talking to you today has just been living proactively, taking charge of your life, whether it be waking up early, making the decision to to leave the phone away. For me, my problem is I set my alarms on my phone. So the first thing that I see in the morning is my phone because I go and turn that off. And I don't know if it's much better, but now I use my Alexa to set my alarm. So I at least don't see anything. I'm still using technology and stuff, but 
before I would find myself going to the phone and I would turn it off and then I would have a notification. And then you play catch up all day because you just aren't feeling like you're in control of your own life. So for everyone out there listening, just be proactive in the decisions that you make, whether it be how to treat others, how you treat yourself, how you live in the morning and doing that and making that choice to live intentionally and live proactively is going to change everything for you. I know you talked a lot about Simon Sinek, that book and the other book by Clayton Christensen. I haven't read that one yet, but that one's on my reading list. I've heard many good things about that. What would be one other book that you would recommend to our listeners out there? And why would you recommend that? Uh, It's the book that I'm reading right now. And I really like the author. His name's Charles Duhigg. And the book is called Smarter, Faster, Better. And the reason that I would really recommend this book is he's an expert storyteller. I really like the person who's reading it. I forget his name right now, but the stories that he pairs with the principles really allows for that to sink in in such a way where they're like, oh, okay, I understand the story because I learn through that type of uh, methodology of hearing a story or hearing an application because I'm more of a kinesthetic learner. So I want to hear how it's applied. So in my mind, he's an expert at that. But he also covers a lot of these things. Like one of the things that he covers is innovation. And he talks about how innovation is so important. All of us know that. But then he goes into talking about a cognitive psychology, which is basically what he refers to in this book called an innovation broker. An innovation broker may not be the smartest person in the room, but they know how that technology is going to apply in different scenarios or how that marketing principle is going to apply in this specific instance. And so he goes through and talks about this innovation broker. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? That has so much value. And especially from an employee standpoint, what is this employee going to be the best at? And we got to draw from their domain experience and from their past history and pair that into why our business can benefit from that. So that's why I would say Smarter, Faster, Better is a perfect book for any entrepreneur, anybody really to pick up. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. I need to go check out that book. I've never heard of it, but it does sound very interesting. And I'm sure it'll apply for me in my life right now very well. So, hey, Scott, thanks so much for being with us today. Before uh, we end the show, we want to give our listeners an opportunity to be able to link up with you. Could you just tell us where they can find you and find more about what you're doing? I really actively update LinkedIn. And so I would tell you that LinkedIn is probably the best place to find me. And again, just search Scott Schwab. I mean, I'm available by email. I actually really enjoy to interact. So if somebody wants to, they can reach out by email, schwab.scott. And the way you spell Schwab is S-C-H-W-A-B dot Scott, S-C-O-T-T at gmail.com. And happy to answer any questions or interact back and forth. Awesome. Thanks, Scott. For all of you listeners out there, seriously, go and check him out. Connect with him. You can ask him any question. He's been a great mentor to me personally, and I know that he can do the same thing for you. Today's key takeaway is set an alarm that isn't your phone. Keep your phone away from you for at least the first 30 minutes to an hour every morning so that you can start the morning being proactive instead of reactive. Again, thanks for listening. And if you wouldn't mind just taking a quick minute 
go on to the iTunes podcast app and leave us a quick review, a quick rating. That really helps us, especially in these early stages of the podcast, so that we can get more people finding out about us and our mission. Until next time, guys, keep filling your way towards achieving your dreams. 